Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hey, this is DeRay, and we're going to boss save the people. In this episode, it's me, Miles, Kaya, and DR talking about the news that you don't know with regard to race, justice, and equity from the past week. The news that went underreported, but is still really important. We talk about the recent racist attack in Jacksonville. We talk about healthcare negligence, so much stuff I didn't even know about. And we talk about Texas's ongoing violence against trans youth. We will be dark next week. But more interviews are coming for you in September. Let's go. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. My name is Miles E. Johnson. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Feral Rapture. I'm Kaya Henderson at Henderson Kaya on Twitter. This is DeRay at D-R-A-Y on Twitter. Well, we want to dig into the shooting that happened in Jacksonville. But before we do, we're going to have our favorite sports expert on the pod lead us through <laughs> a celebration of black excellence via all kinds of sports. Because, you know, Kaya, I mean... So, so the simple fact that I am the black sports expert, <laughs> the sports expert on this podcast is laughable at best. But this was an amazing weekend in black sports-ishness, black excellence, black all the things. Um, you had the world track and field championships. I'm not even going to be able, like, I need to Google ESPN and see what the official thing is. But I'm going to tell you the Kai Henderson version of the thing. At the World Track and Field Championships, first of all, the Americans just killed it. Noah Lyles, Shikari Richardson. First of all, Shikari, right? Like a year ago, people were, you know, writing her off completely. She had the tested positive for marijuana, which she was taking to self-medicate after losing her mom. And people called her all kinds of things and, you know, whatever, whatever. And that young lady came through blazing. She won in the 100. She won in, she like set a whole new world record, I think, or something. I might be making that up. But whatever it was, she did the whole entire thing, the relay, like the Americans, American women dominated and set the Jamaicans on their heels. But the camaraderie between these women was just a beautiful thing to behold. Then you had Noah Lyles and all of the other Black men on the 
on the men's team whose names I don't know, but they're spectacular too. And they want, no one won the 100 to 200. They won the relay. Like it was blackness, black excellence, black sports excellence. Oh, and then Simone Biles, who is back after a two year mental health hiatus and a recent wedding and looking all amazing and whatnot after battling the twisties and whenever the last go round was two years ago is back better than ever. One all around at whatever that thing was that I watched all last night. And, and, and in fact, on that podium, number one and number two were black women, Simone Wiles. And I think the other lady's name is Jordan. Somebody, somebody is, I should have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't know I was going to be the sports expert. And so it was a black girl, a black girl and an Asian girl who were like the top three and, you know, of course, people recognize our sports prowess. But I think that what this sort of reminds people, what these this generation of athletes who are prioritizing mental health, who are having different conversations about what it means to be an elite athlete, I think is pushing us all to appreciate them in a completely different way. The examples that these people are setting for folks about how to run their own careers, how to do their own things, how to how to do this thing, how to do this thing on their own terms is exhilarating. And the best thing that I saw was um, they were talking to Shikari and they were like, you know, um, do you think that it's like that people are now finally putting some respect on your name? And she was like, the most important thing is I put some respect on my name. I came to be better, do better. And that's all that's important. And I thought that was fantastic. I always love this news because I don't know. I love I love moments of black excellence and achievement, but especially in this category of running has always been my the most fa- fascinating one with me as somebody who just does not care about sports. That t- the tennis and the running conversation is always interesting because of you know I I think a little too much, but because of black people's relationship with running, I remember. Um, when I when I used to teach uh, a few years ago, I remember I used to like make like little prompts, like you know old school prompts. And one of the prompts I made was, "What do you?" I remember um, just one of the talking about FloJo and blah blah blah. And one of the prompts were, "What do you think that Black runners who win are thinking about to motivate them to run? Do you think they're thinking about their favorite songs? Do you think they're thinking about their fears? And what do you think that's what's going through their minds when they're?" when they're running or I think I just said runners in general and I always think about that and I think when I think about black women I wonder what is going through their minds and what they're telling themselves to push through um are they metabolizing fears that they might have that make them that that make them run faster are they thinking about goals and dreams I don't know it's just something so amazing about looking at those women just fly <laughs> with with their feet like little black opalos <laughs> i've been reading greek mythology <laughs> i love it black apollos yes <laughs> i will say it was what was really cool is something that we all have known growing up raised and loved by black people is that we always have each other and we always know that. You don't always see it though. Like that's not what gets represented. And with this track moment, you saw it. You saw women in heated competition hug afterwards and take selfies. Mm -hmm. 
if I don't know if you saw the way those men were there when the women's relay ended Absolutely. and like jumped on Shikari, mm-hmm. you know, Shikari closed it, but it was a team effort. Shikari was just, you know, she closed it. They toppled her over with the flag. They're all jumping up and hugging her. And like Shikari is just on it when they ask her like, what's up? Da-da-da-da. She's like, now everybody want to talk about the fact that we friends, but uh, you know, before people want to talk about it, like she just has it in terms of, in terms of like her own growth. And I will say, you know, I was one of the people that before it was like Shikari, it was clear that she got swept in the moment and it happens to the best of us, right? It was like, she went from, we had never heard of her outside. Like the people on track knew her, but we didn't know her. And then she's at the ESPYs and the da 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 da. She's like going all the blogs. And then the marijuana thing happens. People turn on her. She starts losing races and da da da. And I'm so happy that she processed what happened. It's like, yeah, Shikari, if you do this, for those people, you will never, like, they will love you today, hate you tomorrow. That's the way the game goes. And it has been cool to see her, like, understand and get it. And that one race, I don't know if you saw when she came out of the the far lane and yes. one in there, you're oh, like, yes, come on, did. girl. Yes, she did. The mm. Americans are back in track and field, baby. And I, I think the one comment I will make um, and that I love about Shikari is how she always pushes back against reporters. And keep in mind, this is the same child who learned of her mother's death through a reporter, right? So I think even in the characterizations of her, whether it's, you know, flamboyant or she scolds reporters, she's really just telling the truth oftentimes. Like, you know, say my name correctly. Or, you know, I am, yes, I'm running this race for the respect of others, but really it starts with myself. And so I just find it interesting how sports is still one place where like reporters, white reporters can talk as crazy, as wildly as they want. And there's really, there's been no kind of like collective accountability around it. Just thinking of like what Serena and Venus have been asked, thinking about um, what happens in in press conferences, even with, you know, with some NBA players. So I, I will say, I think what is still shocking around all of this, and even as I'm writing even as I'm reading what's written about Shikari is still very much from the perspective of just otherizing her in a way that, you know, she wins despite her character, essentially. And to that, to that point, did you see that part? Did you see that moment where she bypassed all the traditional media, the mainstream media and only went to the black reporters DR and -hmm. pissed off everybody? See, they were hot. And she, and she did it with class. She was just like, no, no. It always, and he was like, yes, right? Because they did her dirty. They did mm-hmm. her dirty. And the Black Excellence in Sports continues because tonight starts the U.S. Open, baby. Oh, Coco Golf is on the scene. She's about to kill it tonight, coming off of a City Open win here in Washington, D.C. That jerker was hot. Francis Tiafo, if you don't know him, Google him. That dude is a beast. And um, Chris Eubanks, who in Wimbledon, like, came out of nowhere. Nobody was expecting him, made it to the quarterfinals. He didn't win, but now he's ranked 28th and he's coming to the U.S. Open for the first time, seated in the Grand Slam. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit more black sports magic this week. I'm not even a sports freak like that. I can't believe y'all got me out here being a sports person. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that the only thing I'll say kind of follow up on Simone is what I love about Simone is that Simone took a break because she got the twisties. 
and got married, like did her thing. And what I love about her coming back and winning is that she is just such a great example that you can do your best and take care of yourself. And she just is a living example of that. Like she, she came back and performed as well as she has ever done. She is the most decorated world champion gymnast of any gender ever in America. I mean, come on. And she took a break because she needed to take care of herself. And like, I love it. Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Stay tuned, there's more to come. Pod Save the People is brought to you by Factor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Now, let me tell y'all, they sent me the Factor meals, and it is absolutely true. Two minutes, pop it in a microwave, and it literally is restaurant-quality food. So far, my favorites are chicken parmesan. I am a chicken parmesan connoisseur. This stuff is good. It has broccoli and tomatoes, and it is creamy and amazing. Mmm, yum. So easy to throw it in the microwave and have a good meal. I'm saving money. I'm not eating out at restaurants so much. It's healthy. Like, I cannot say more about Factor Meals. So if you want to be down with this, head to factormeals.com slash PSTP50 and use code PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PSTP50 at factormeals.com slash PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Posse of the People is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, y'all, the beginning of this year has just been a lot going on, like from work and family and friends and just, you know, the weather's been awful in New York City and Baltimore. There are a lot of stresses happening, big and small, and we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash people. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.
And then y'all, on a heavier note, you know, we do want to talk about the shooting in Jacksonville. Three black folks were killed um, at a Dollar General. And this white man with swastikas evidently all over his AK, I think it was a or AR-15, um, first attempted to go to um, an HBU, Edward Waters University. He wasn't able to get in thanks to the security guards there and then um, turned his sights towards this Dollar General store where he t- he caught some folks um, coming out. You know, there, there's been a lot happening in Florida in particular. I think the thing that I'm working on processing and finding language around is, you know, I, I guess it just, it baffles me how someone like Iran DeSantis, who showed up at a vigil to a vigil to remember and, and recognize the victims, and there are Angela Michelle Carr, Annalt Joseph, Laguerre and Haral Deshaun Gallen, um, ages 52, 19, and 29. So he shows up at this vigil and he's booed once he gets there. But it's just, for me, such a disconnect around the hate that he is constantly cultivating, um, perpetuating, um, and institutionalizing in the state, and then not understanding how this incident is part of that ecosystem. So DeSantis gets there at this vigil. He talks about how he's going to increase spending to protect HBCUs. Again, a huge disconnect between, (laughs) you know, the perpetuation, the psychology of hate with these, you know, sort of quick fixes that really don't address a systemic issue. But this was definitely a hard one. And, you know, thinking of the, the victims and their families. I'm absolutely enraged that he even had the the gall or whatever or whatever you have to call that to show foot at those people's vigils and because he was been and the thing about it is not all evil in white supremacy is bad we're in the clown era of white supremacy so it's even worse because you're a buffoon and you're doing things like a reality television star because that is your gold marker and you go and you act like a clown on on stage and you don't even have any piece of decorum going on going on with you on stage and then you come to this very serious visual event that happened because you helped it happen and you helped motivate it and normalize it and helped and and, and helped make it seem like there is a a huge war of race happening um to the uh to these white men and they must go out and do something and then you have nerve to to step your your clown shoes in this very serious event. I think it's so disrespectful. I think it's so, 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 so disrespectful. I can't really remember. There's been racist clowns before and always, but I can't remember Ann Coulter doing something like that. I can't remember um, certain people who are, who were the clowns of like my teenage years crossing that line and going where your words actually cause death, going where you helped facilitate terror through your words and actions. And this is all my opinion and allegedly and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, th- and I'm theorizing, but I, it's for me as a, as a thinker, it's so hard not to connect to Santis with that shooting. And it's imperative that people start taking the internet seriously the incel community, the manosphere community is real. Um, 
I talk about it when it comes to black people and it comes to black men because it's real and growing with black men and it's extremely real for white men and they are on the internet preparing and discussing these events and just the last thing that I'll say, they're on these chat rooms, most of them are on these chat rooms, and they see the fact that they have not done an event like this, the white men who have not done an event like this, they see that that as a personal failure. So they have reorganized their lives. So one day they see they see having the courage to do a shooting like this as a goal, essentially. So they 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 see their their not have done it as a as a failure, and they see the people who have done it as these heroes. And that is a culture that's happening. That's a discussion that's happening. It's scary. I've seen the page, the you know the the the, the dark web screenshots and all this other stuff. It's a whole culture where it's like, oh, this is our goal, not this job, not this wife. Um, it's for our for our for our for us to be a soldier in this in this fight to make America white again. And it's just disgusting that DeSantis has helped create propaganda for that community and stepped foot on those people's vigils. Ooh. First of all, you know, I can't imagine, I, I was watching um, some video of the shooting. This lady was sitting in her car, minding her business in the parking lot of, of the dollar store. And the dude just walked up on her and shot her through the windshield like, you know, just living every day being Black, we talk about it all the time, right? Like, is perilous in these times. And one of the things that they pointed out is that the killer got his guns legally. And we cannot separate the whole, you know, gun rights and our permissiveness around guns from these terroristic shootings. These, I mean... They're enabling all of the people, Miles, in these chat rooms to have the weaponry for the oncoming race war, right? They they are not selling war, weapons for personal protection. And we've talked about this on the pod before. They're, you know, they have military grade weapons that you don't need if you hunting and just defending your little house. These people are strapping up for the race war. And, um, and you know, I think it's interesting to watch how DeSantis has sort of figured in this. I think he, I think history, this is my prediction. I think history is going to see Ron DeSantis as one of, a, of an incredible, as an incredibly tragic figure, because while he is enabling a lot of this um, white supremacist stuff to happen, I actually feel like we're watching him spiral. Um, you know, he can't get traction with voters in Iowa. He can't, has, his poll numbers are dropping precipitously. There's all of this stuff. And so I think that's going to be an interesting character profile to watch. But um, what is most sort of galling to me is like, we're not treating this like it is an epidemic. And it is an epidemic. Mm -hmm. It's an epidemic of young white men who have access to a ton of hate information and hate communication and who act on it. And you can tell that it's going to happen. You know who is going to do it, you know, right? And, you know, we're talking about Pittsburgh and we're talking about Buffalo. We're also talking about Charleston. We're talking about, you know, lots of this stuff. And there's, we, uh, the psychologists have told us, we can see when it's coming. We know who it's going to be. 
And we refuse to treat it like the scourge that it is because the victims are people of color or Jewish people or LGBTQ people or Muslims or, you know, non-white people. And I think that that is, you know, I think I was reading somewhere um, that the federal government came out with a study maybe two years ago talking about how um, epic, how this is one of our America's greatest threats. And we're like, yeah. No, a few bad apples. And that to me is the most problematic part of this. The only thing I'll add is rem- is reminding that uh, to Kaya's point is that while they are gearing up and ready and to Miles's point uh, about they are, this is like part of their identity as white men for sure is to engage in this way. They want the attention. So, the the newspapers reported that he uh, left his parents' house around 11.39, headed to Jacksonville. At 1.18, he texted his father to ask him to check his computer. The government had written several manifestos that were racist. And in between 1.18 uh, and the time when his parents called the sheriff's office, they did not call until 1.53. That 35 minutes was a big time. It was in that time that he committed murder uh, and suicide. And it's like, he even tipped people off and his parents didn't take it serious enough to call the police. And I just say that as a reminder that like, there are often times when people can intervene, they just got to step up. Uh, And this was not one of those times where that happened. And like you said, Kai, sitting in a car, you know? And thank God for the security guard at the HBCU who was like, hey, you got to get off campus. Like, this ain't this ain't it right now. Uh, who did likely save lives. My news this week comes out of California, where a company called Flannery Associates has purchased $800 million worth of agricultural and empty land in Solano County. Solano County is about 60 miles northeast of San Francisco. They've bought this land, Flannery Associates bought this land from farmers at several times more than its market value over the past five years. And they are now the biggest landowners in Solano County. Solano County has about 120,000 residents. Um, It contains the Travis Air Force Base. It contains the Anheuser-Busch Brewery and the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean Factory. And... Um, The plan is to build a new city with tens of thousands of new homes, a large solar energy farm, orchards with over a million new trees, and over 10,000 acres of new parks and open spaces. And all of that sounds very interesting, but what was most interesting to me is that for the last five years, Flannery Associates has been purchasing this land and nobody knew who they were until recently. And it turns out that um, there are humongous um, backers of Flannery Associates or investors in Flannery Associates, and they are the Silicon Valley elite. So this whole thing is being spearheaded by a guy named Jan Sramek, who is a 36-year-old former Goldman Sachs investor. Um, And he has taken this $800 million from a bunch of people to build this new metropolis. 
They include Michael Moritz, who is a billionaire venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, Reed Hoffman, who is um, the co-founder of LinkedIn. He's a venture capitalist and a Democratic donor. Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon, who are investors at the Andreessen Horowitz venture capital firm. Um, Patrick and John Collison, the sibling co-founders of Stripe, the payments company. Lorene Powell Jobs, uh, who is the founder of the Emerson Collective and Steve Jobs' ex-wife. And Nat Friedman and Daniel Gross, who are entrepreneurs turned investors. So this is all happening. And uh, they say that this new metropolis will relieve some of the Silicon Valley pressures like rising home prices and homelessness and congestion. And that all sounds wonderful. Let's build us a whole new city with park space and housing and all of the things. And I have to pray to the sweet baby Jesus to um, help me be gracious and to recognize that people do have altruistic motivations. But I find it really hard to believe that a whole bunch of super duper rich people in Silicon Valley have spent $800 million to build a new city that's going to be for regular people. See, when I think about this, I think about the people who are trying to make Mars work. I'm thinking about the people who are trying to find a place to go when the world falls apart because of climate change or the race war or the droughts in California or whatever, whatever. And so this is why I need you saints to pray for me because I, I, I can't, I cannot help but think about ulterior motivations, even in how they are moving in the world, right? You buy up $800 million worth of, first of all, what black 36-year-old do you think could get $800 million to hatch a plan to build a new metropolis? None. But um, Jan is doing something. And I just, I really deeply wonder who this is for, um, who it will serve, how it will help humanity, and how it will not be a bubble for the rich in Silicon Valley to go when the rest of the world starts falling apart. And I'm sure that none of you have ever thought anything like that. And that's why I'm coming to the pod to say, help a sister out because I've been black and American for far too long to think anything but conspiracy here. So tell me if you think something different. I do not think something different. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot do that to, to you, Auntie Kaya. No, when I first heard about the story, this gave me Jetsons. I remember the, uh, the idea that everybody lived in the air and there's no Black people in Jetsons. So the theory is all the Black people were below, still living on the earth, where that was ruined so much so that the, uh, you know, the affluent people got to, had to live in the air. And there's so many stories and I, I, you know, smoked too much legal marijuana to like remember <laughs> super details about Octavia Butler and Ardalani's um, uh, arcs. But there's a lot of arcs in Black science fiction. And even when I read Bray Bar- Bradbury, I forgot the name of the story, but he has like a dome story where only the elite can get into this dome and be safe from apocalypses. And that's a, a reoccurring theme. And I think that's what's happening. Even Metropolis itself, that like I like that that name is a part of a um a uh, it's it's one of the the, the more famous um science fiction stories from the 1930s, I believe. So it just feels like we're living in 
the predicted future that science fiction writers were warning us about because they were seeing how class, I guess I want to say black science fiction writers were warnings about because they saw how class would ultimately make rich people who had access to technology um, hide themselves. <laughs> not not try to argue with us, not try to um, <laughs> play our games, not really get on our television. Most of the te- rich people's television pursuits are political and commercial, but if they if their money is coming from, is is quiet, quiet luxury they don't need to talk to you and they're going to create a big bubble and i'm not going to be shocked if we hear if we do hear more bubble stories meaning i wouldn't be surprised if there would be black hyper capitalists who had similar ideas and maybe only accepted or allowed people who weren't the most class people to get in if they were exceptional like i can i can actually see a lot of that stuff happening that like your access to clean water fresh air education um safety really is pre is 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 leading on your network i can actually is that sad am i crazy am i a little like i can see that happening (laughs) you've been black and american for too long too (laughs) (laughs) you know what this reminded me of and maybe we talked about it, maybe we didn't, but this reminds me of um, Summit Powder Mountain, which is a mountain that was purchased primarily by these four guys who started Summit Series. So Summit Series is like a multi-day conference where you have CEOs and founders, et cetera. There's also a lot of partying from, I've never been, but from what I heard, but some years ago, they ended up purchasing a mountain in Utah for $40 million and the, and the similar types of folks invested. So one of the co-founders of, of PayPal, Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings, Beth Comstock, former vice chair and chief marketing at GE, the founder of Tom Shoes. So all that to say, Kaya, like these, this, this is probably happening more than we know. And it's fascinating. But you know, don't get me wrong. I would do this if I could. And no, Miles, I would not. I would not discriminate. I would try to take every. Well, first I I'd start say, getting bus you, loads. Who you, who you bus, first in? of all, I'm taking bus. First of all, all the black people in Minnesota. I'm getting them out. I'm starting there. And then once I get that organized, I'm gonna go on to the next. <laughs> Teresa, I was like, you're gonna get in trouble. No, I'm not. Those people, you, they'd be the first ones to sign up. Oh my God, <laughs> DR. Um, y'all, DR is on one today, and I'm here for it. You know, I, I think I'm reminded that these people, individually and certainly as a whole, don't pay taxes. Essentially, like that is. I just every time I think about this extreme wealth, I'm reminded that they are not paying taxes. They essentially are not paying taxes. That we have like subsidized their wealth to such an incredible degree that they can pool it like this. So that is like one thing. The second thing is, you know, the older I get, the more, as a kid, wealth to me meant genius. If you had a lot of money, you had something, you're a genius. You're like, and then the older I get, I'm like, no, that ain't that ain't right. Wealth just means wealth. That's all it means. It don't mean smart. It don't mean, and only white people could ever have companies that are worth so much money that are unprofitable. Only, like, we don't, that is a luxury that black people have never gotten. And the third thing, and those of us, I think everybody probably with Miles who's worked inside, 
People take for granted what it means to run anything in the government. People, the arrogance of people on the outside who just assume that it works. You're like, getting, Kaya knows this, getting every kid fed every day is a feat. The schools, like the fact that we do that in this country at school is a logistical brilliance that happens every single day. DR, you know, like anything that the State Department ever, it is it is skill and work. It is not just people walking into the building and magically the things happens. And I say that because what the government has to do is operate at scale. These businesses are always sort of add-ons, additions. They don't have to deal with the poorest, the unmotivated, the people who are motivated but don't have access. Government has to do that. And doing that at scale is hard. And I can just see the arrogance of really wealthy people being like, oh, I run a good business. I'm not. It's like, you don't even know how much work it, it takes to do this well. And that's always what shocks me. But do you, re- do you really think that like, it, it, it would be, do you, do you really think it would be for people who, um, who couldn't feed themselves? I think that there's a point where like, you know, we have the first plan community in the country is Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, Maryland. Edward Norton's grandpa did it. And, you know, no matter what you intended to be at a point, it's like the schools, like the neighborhood, there'll have to be a school. Like, I'm just saying the infrastructure of building it is actually just hard. Like, stop signs, water. I guess in my head, this is just in my imagination. It, I'm just like... I just keep on seeing the science fiction dome and I'm like, oh, order your Uber Eats here. (laughs) Do whatever you have to do that you would normally do, but we're going to keep the air clean. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Even through reading it and like getting into like what they were saying, I don't know. I just had a hard time believing that that's actually what it's going to end on. And the only thing my imagination can end on is like a big biodome Mm -hmm. bubble. (laughs) Well, Miles, and I'll go the other way, like taking us back, like black folks were brilliant at creating all black towns and cities. And there were 50 across Oklahoma, just Oklahoma. And they all got Greenwood. Like, you know, so I think part of it is, you know, I think there's something to, to both things. I think there is, there's actually been a history like an, a planning history around how these how towns can exist and be inclusive and be socialist um, and and folks thrive in them. I think what ends up happening is is once you have that capitalistic mentality either in the founding or in the operation, that's when things go to shit. Okay, so my news today is more of a reminder. Um, the bans on trans rights in Texas begin in September. Um, I think it's really important. I was up late last night. Well, I I had a weird sleeping schedule this weekend, but I was um, up late last night. And it's not really something I'm... Why why would I talk about it all the time publicly? But I think it's important to kind of contextualize the story to talk about publicly. But I'm always having an internal conversation around transition and around medical transition. And and that includes pills, estrogen, or that includes um, facial feminization surgeries, that includes... uh, a, a lieu of other trans medical things. I'm always having a conversation around, okay, as I get older, what would I want to do to still be able to look in the mirror and feel like I'm looking at myself, but also not feel like I'm growing into something that just would make my life miserable. And 
it's a hard internal conversation. It's a difficult thing to uh, think about. And as somebody who loves going to the doctor and being big and the doctor being like, oh, you're just of, of, of health. Like, I don't want to do anything to disturb that. Um, and that's a privilege because I don't feel entirely dysphoric in the body that I was given. And even I get just tortured by these by these ideas and it, 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 it it's a lot. If you're a child and you're on the bridge of if you're on the um on the on, on the cusp of puberty, it's essential if you have made up your mind and if you know what's going on for those for those steps toward your body to align with your gender to happen. I I might be a little dramatic throughout this whole podcast, but I don't think it's because it's not because we're dealing with a lot of drama because I really want to say that stopping trans kids from getting the medicine that they need and getting the medication that they need and the attention they need is re- is requesting is requesting suicides and depressions in that in our community. It's the most miserable place you can be. Even 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 the things I have done, even the things steps I have uh of done that are transition quote unquote steps. I can't describe how much anxiety and depression and suicide um, ADHD has been um, relieved in the, in the leaves. It's it's huge. It's everything. I can't even. I, there were times I couldn't even think at work because of it. And to think about kids who have to go to high school, who have to date, who have to start to um, operating in the world and going to your first concerts to be and to, and to go to prom to ha- to have to do those things and a costume that society gave to you and and you're being rejected from actually expressing your gender it's 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 disgusting and i want people to know that this is happening cuz i feel like our news cycle is so quick and i think that sometimes when things end up happening it can kind of people can feel like okay we lost and move on i don't want any of those things to happen and i want to do my part to remind people that this is happening and it's a huge deal and there are nonprofits like the one i used to work for called for the girls um the girls in for the girls is spelled g w o r l s um and so many other nonprofits that actually help people affirm their surgeries affirm their get affirmative surgeries affirm um uh, that affirm their gender including getting medications like estrogen and testosterone it's so important to help places like that right now, specifically if this is really happening in Texas and really happening with um, kids, because it's, 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 it's dead. This, this is going to be, is deadly. And I'm keep on stuttering over my words because I don't want to be more dramatic than the news, but I can't imagine that. And I'm 32 and it's been, and it's been a struggle and I can't imagine being a teenager, a preteen and, having the bravery to know who you are, having the bravery to, and having the intelligence to articulate who you are to the people who need to help you get there, doing all that internal work, doing all that brave conversation. And we still have a have, have this political block that's really just so people can use you as propaganda and use you as a political spawn to, to pawn to assist their narrative. It's disgusting. So I did want to, uh, get you all's opinion on that too, but more importantly, remind our listeners that this is happening. You know, people talk about a conspiracy theory, and let me tell you, 
there is no need for a theory. It's like we we see it in real time. When you look at the aggregate of all of the Republican proposals around culture, for sure, and the economy, uh, if it is not simply about controlling people with less power and less money, I don't know what it is. Like, I, that really is, that's what it boils down to. I was reading something the other day, and as somebody who is not a woman, I will never birth children. I was reading these accounts of um, abortion and it, about why um, right-wing women support abortion and why some evangelical black women support abortion. And it blew my mind. And like, this is obviously my naivete about not being a woman, but they were saying like, because some of those women cannot have kids, they feel like it should not be your choice to not have a kid if God gives you one. And I just had never even thought of that. And there were all these women who were like, yeah, it's such a, like, I can't do it. And God gave you one. How dare you? do something different with his gift and we should make it illegal. And it is like just the need to control other people's lives that have no bearing on your well-being, society's well-being. It just is about power and control and specifically about people who have less access. Because again, there will always, there will, rich people will get abortions. They will figure it out. It is the least, uh, it is the people with the least privilege. And to your point, Miles, uh, it is just a reminder that like, why does a trans person's anything threat? Like, why do you, what, what, you, what is going on? You ain't, they ain't nothing got to do with you. You're not going to be a rat. Like you, I, if not only for the idea that you just need to control what other people do. And that is the Republican platform. And to me, it actually is that simple. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to Ray. I was just thinking about, you know, how the Republican party purports to want to protect individual rights and freedoms, right? If this isn't an individual right and freedom to choose what medical procedures you want, how do you get to decide that for me? How do you get to decide what books my children read? You can decide what books your children should not read, but you can't decide what's right for me in the same way that there is no way that you can imperil people's lives in this way by making a decision that you actually have no, you don't know anything about. You don't know what these young people are going through. You don't know about the depression, the anxiety, the pain. You don't know what their parents are going through when their parents make decisions to support um to support these procedures and it ain't none of your business. How about that? Yeah, I think, you know, to DeRay's point, particularly for for black folks and we've talked about this before, like I don't know where the, you know, where the more, you know, people feeling like they need to stand on this like supposed moral high ground around LGBTQ politics, around trans politics, around um, trans youth. But I have heard comments from family members that are wild comments and I don't know if it's the Facebook. I don't know if it's evangelical. Not the, the Facebook. Facebook. I don't know if it's evangelicalism. I don't know what it is that gets a hold on our people. Because our people are conservative people. That is true. But our people are not a hateful people. And we have to, and we're learning that. We're learning that and practicing that. And so I feel like that's where I want to figure out the work. It's just like, what, 
What is happening psychologically with our folks that, yes, Miles, like take us, take us, well, the, uh, take us with that, take well, us to a place. Well, well, the aura, well, <laughs> and I would, you know, I, I love, I love black people to quote, to quote, um, <laughs> now president, um, nominee. I don't love black people to be popular with black people. I love black people because they are deserved to be loved. Black people are not a hateful people, but black people can be a deeply patriarchal people. And Although I live in Brooklyn and Brooklyn, a lot of Brooklyn has been hipsterfied. I live in a very Caribbean neighborhood um, and comporting myself in a way that affirms my gender and what I feel on the inside and going on that journey in a black community is not always the easiest thing because of, of because of the patriarchy. And at the end of the day, for a lot of people, this is not a moral issue in the way that sometimes I hear people who are cis talk about it. It's a philosophical issue for people. So me, I looked very beautiful last night at the Brooklyn Museum and I was in a skirt and I was oiled and I was looking good and I felt good and I was in my little yes, heels. And me looking and, and me looking like that is proof that there was something in the American water. There was something in the American milk. Cause look at how this black man looks. So they put a picture of me next to Malcolm X and say, look what happened to the black man. And that's what's going on. So it has nothing really to do with, did you go to jail or did you steal something or anything else that I think as black people, we actually understand how some, sometimes we arrive at certain moments of desperation or criminality or, um, or, or moral uh, teeter-tottering. I think we kind of, a lot of us intellectually understand that. I think this is philosophical for a lot of people because my, being who I am is proof that there is a uh, an, an internal deterioration of of black manness and humanity that's happening, and I and and and, and my cinched heels are proof that it that it's working. That upsets people. Why does it have to be a deterioration? I mean, I this is a rhetorical question, right? Like, I think what I love about the young people, I think what I have, what I love and have learned about what I would call gender expansion, right? Away from a cis paradigm to more of a spectrum is that like, it just makes room for more people. Like it is inclusive. It is, it invites more people to the party as opposed to keeping people out. And so I think one way to, clearly one way to think about it is the, I don't know what some D word degradation or the diminishment or something of black men that you said, um, like, why can't we be, why can't we embrace the expansiveness of what this new paradigm allows for people? I think one, one, I will say, Miles, I completely agree. But from what I've experienced and from what I have processed some of this is people wanting to feel better than other people. And it may come from a place of patriarchy, white supremacy, but to me, just brass tacks around it, that's what I'm seeing. And that's what I go off yeah. on to the people in my family. Don't go anywhere. More politics the people's coming. Did you know that more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care? 
Ellie was one of them. When she was placed in foster care at 16, after experiencing significant abuse, she felt unlovable. Thankfully, Ellie was adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Today, she's planning on college and has a bright future. But more than 20,000 teens age out of care every year. You can help. Visit DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Moving on. So we cover a ton of health disparities with Black, Brown, Asian, Indigenous, LGBTQ communities. And so, you know, the article I'm getting ready to share, it is, you know, it is shocking again, another health disparity that I've come across. Um, But I think it's so, so, so critical to continue to share information like this, um, particularly when it comes to Black bodies. And so this story begins with Danette Fogel, who's a 65-year-old retired school teacher in New York. And it's this story is about her introduction to and her overall experience with menopause. And I wanted to talk about this because I have learned that, you know, the transition to menopause for for the, the, the individuals that experience it is confounding. It's hard. It's there's not a lot of information around it. But for women of color, for these humans of color, the transition can be even more complicated So research has found that duration, frequency, and severity, and I'm sorry, even the types of symptoms can look different across races, but the most negative consequences happen to Black humans. So, you know, this goes through, the the article goes through Danette's experience. At 34, she started to notice changes with her menstrual cycles, um, which kind of is a hallmark symptom of perimenopause. And so for those that don't know what perimenopause is, it's the final years of a, of a um, woman's reproductive years that leads up to menopause and lasts 10 years on average. So most women, though, don't go through perimenopause until their 40s. But some studies have have found that Black women tend to start the transition transition earlier than people of other races. Ms. Fogel started to experience night sweats for the first time, another clue that her hormones were changing. She went to her gynecologist um, and said, you know, these, these night sweats are interrupting my sleep. What can I do? I think I'm starting menopause. And her doctor laughed at her and then called a nurse into the room to laugh with the doctor about her. Um, so that completely turned her off to, you know, going to a doctor to get help with her menopause. Um, and it's it's reflective of a lot of 
humans that go through menopause, uh, reflective of their experience. And then on top of that, physicians really aren't fully equipped to help navigate this transition. Um, so it's it's something like, you know, there was a, a study done and something like 20% of new doctors had actually learned about menopause, which clearly is not a lot. When humans of color who are going through menopause, perimenopause seek, seek care, they often encounter physicians who aren't aware of those differences and aren't fully equipped to help them navigate the transition. And so what ends up happening is that unmanaged menopause systems are symptoms are associated with elevated risk of long-term chronic diseases like coronary heart disease and neuro, neurodegenerative diseases. It can also translate into years of discomfort that affect a person's mental health and quality of life. This means that women of color often go without adequate care during menopause, signaling to them that their suffering is insignificant. And I wanted to just recognize the word suffering because I feel like so much of my health journey when it comes to my reproductive parts have been a suffering. And a suffering that as Black women in particular, I feel like we've been you know, kind of socialized to accept suffering as just like a a way of being. So hot flashes are a common symptom of menopause um, and often disruptive, and that goes for all races. But what this article shows us is that if you have intense and more frequent hot flashes and those happen over more years than others. It can lead to dementia. It can lead to frequent and constant anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and other diseases get prompted by that, by like stroke and heart disease. Um, So I just wanted to bring this. I'm not going to, I can read about menopause and perimenopause and hormones all day long. But what what I wanted everyone to get out of that is that one, there's another disparity that impacts Black bodies that are going through menopause and perimenopause, the lack of acknowledgement by doctors in the healthcare system overall when it comes to folks that are going through this, but most particularly Black folks. And just for, you know, when we start to recognize these symptoms, there are there are places to go. There are organizations now that are helping at least to create acknowledgement and some care around this. And hormone therapy um, has be- been believed to help many people through menopause and and perimenopause. And so, but the first step is really knowing what's happening with your body and recognizing within yourself that your, your, your feelings and your voice around your body are absolutely real. And then finding the help that you need and being in community with others who are going through a similar experience to help you move through that. So I just wanted to bring that to the pod because, you know, I'm 42. I am perimenopausal. This is something that I'm constantly thinking about and I'm constantly feeling different in my own body and trying to understand what that is. And also just trying to be a black woman who can exist and be an example of living in potential and not being someone who lives and gets comfortable in a suffering. So thank you for bringing this to the podcast. Yara, as somebody who is extremely ignorant on the subject, and one thing since I've uh, joined this podcast that I've seen is so many racial um, gaps in the in the in in medicine, and specifically when it comes to Black women, 
And I think the articles usually deal with it. And I think most people just know about it. But I think there has to be a focus on all the things that are happening in this world. I'm just flailing my hands around <laughs> everything burning down and how it's affecting people. And I think sometimes we can say statistics in uh, uh, during debate or 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 in or some oftentimes even in articles that just are, seem random. But it's because oftentimes black women and women of color are dealing with more stress so the reason so the so when their body changes it's going to be more stressful these aren't just bad dna luck you know it's not just how things are it's how things have been designed which means a redesign can happen and then anytime a story like this happens i think it's important to echo that fact that these aren't just how it is for people with these skin tones or from with these backgrounds, this is how the society has designed it to be. Um, I want to say, you know, in my auntie chat, we talk all about menopause all the time. And one of the most important things that we talk about is the fact that most people are not talking about menopause. And so as women, we don't, we don't know what's coming. The aunties and the grandmas don't tell us. It is a whole situation. And then to realize that we're also gonna going to face the same disparities in healthcare when you go to get answers from doctors and nurses and not be able to get the answers from them because they don't actually understand the care is disheartening. Um, what was even more alarming about this article was the idea that um, the the idea of suffering, as you brought up. Um, Tiara, I don't, if you don't have, if you have not had insomnia, if you don't know what it's like to go for nights and nights without sleep, if you don't know what it's like to wake up sweating in the middle of the night, that has an impact on everything. It's not just what happens at night. It has an impact on everything that happens during the day. I thought it was very interesting that this wasn't, that, that they also sort of laid out how this is an issue for Asian women because their menopausal symptoms are different than black women's symptoms and different than white women's systems and they get anxiety. And so these poor Asian ladies are out here thinking they just losing it when the truth of the matter is menopause is causing deep anxiety we uh, we still are are required to function every day we're required to work we're required to parent we're re required to be good citizens while literally your body is going bananas and i say all of this to say god bless the people in women's health especially women of color doctors and the doctors who go out of their way to help normalize what's happening in women's lives it's rough out being a woman ain't easy let me just tell you as one who's been one for 53 years someone who's been one for 53 years and the fact that this information is not available you know i think about how many um what do you call these erectile dysfunction medicines we have? When men have a problem, we go figure out how to fix it. When women have problems, that's not exactly the case. For years, we've gotten bad um, information on hormone replacement therapy. Don't do it because you know, you'll know you get cancer. Totally debunked. And there are women who are still going without critical hormone replacement therapy that could smooth this all out for them because we don't pay enough attention to it and we don't give it the credibility that we give men's issues. And so thanks for bringing this to the podcast. Don't nobody want to talk about menopause, but you know, women who are going through it. <laughs>
Bring it on. I love it. I want to talk about it all day. Anything but it's also around important hormones, for other up. people to understand what's going on, what's going Me on too. with your colleagues, what's going on with your coworkers, what's going on with your mother. My mother and I, my mother, mother and sisters. I did not talk for three years. And it was because she was going through menopause and all kinds of things were happening with her. Once she got that patch, honey, I was like, who is this lady? You found my mother. Like, this is amazing. And we don't talk about these things. And so thank you for bringing it, Diara, because this stuff is real. I don't have anything to add about menopause, but because my news is also about the healthcare system, I'll just transition into it, is my news is about pulse oximeters. And when I think about your news, DR, just a reminder that the healthcare system was, what is so wild about the healthcare system is that it was built, especially with women, built deconstructing, raping, pillaging, using the bodies of Black women, and still has no learnings, focus, nothing. You think about like the history of gynecology. It's like, you know, this industry does not exist without Black bodies. But I think about... um, Pulse oximeters, you know, when you go to the emergency room, you go to the doctor, the first thing they do is put your finger in the little thing. It it measures the level of oxygen in your blood. Uh, Well, guess what? It routinely overestimated the amount of oxygen in darker skinned COVID patients. And when it overestimated the level of oxygen, it led to delays in treatment and hospital readmissions. This comes from a study that researchers at Baylor College, Hopkins, and HCA Healthcare did that reviewed about 24,500 cases of people whose blood oxygen levels were first measured with the pulse oximeter and then whose blood was drawn and tested to further examine the levels. Now, here's the thing. If the readings are too high or falsely high, then the patients may look fine on paper, when in reality, they're not fine. They need some additional care, some something. But because the machines aren't calibrated to darker skin, it looks like they're fine. And a reminder that most people's finger fingertip reading is never double-checked by a blood draw. Just like when I think about when I got tested for strep, they do that little culture. The culture can say whatever, but they could actually run it through a lab and get like a final result. Most people's aren't ever run through a blood draw. Now, here's the wild thing. Um, It says that patients with a fingertip pulse oximeter reading of 94% or more, but whose blood tests showed lower levels, were deemed to have an unrecognized need for COVID therapy. Here we go, y'all. Black patients were found to be nearly 50% more likely than white patients to have their condition go undetected. Hispanic patients were 18% more likely than white patients to have an unrecognized need. Now, if you remember in the heart of COVID, how Black people just started dying, when I read this, I'm like, they could have gone to the hospital in time. They could have seen a doctor in time. 50% got the wrong reading at the beginning. 50% got told that they were okay when they were That is wild. So I wanted to bring that here because I hadn't heard about this. Just like with the... Menopause conversation, I didn't know anything about that. Uh, and I didn't know anything about this. So I wanted to bring it here. So my first reaction when I was reading the article was how in my Black brain, when I saw the words dark skin, I was, of course, and still infuriated. But I think in my head, I thought, oh, 
Black people who, what we would call in the Black community, darker skin, are having a like, harder time, which is like th- this group of people. But I'm like, oh, you're talking about anybody who's darker than Italian? Like, I, is that what we're calling dark, dark skin? <laughs> Are we talking about are we talking about Mexicans <laughs> and like like and black people? I'm like, oh, you're talking about everybody. And I think that was kind of what's blowing my mind was how incompetent the medical industry is if it can only deal if 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 it's making mistakes around people who are this article's definition of dark skin, you know? Um, it would have still been incompetent, but I think in my head because obviously the medical community it skews towards helping white people i would have just intellectually understood how that happened i don't i i get how it happens but this is that's ridiculous that's ridiculous that means it that means it's it's an incompetent piece of medicine and technology if that huge (laughs) of of a swab of people cannot get uh uh, accurate help and suggestion. I'm also just going back to COVID times when it was like, or, order the oximeter. You have to have an oximeter. You have to have your mask. You have to have your glove. You have. It was like all these yes. things you had to have to protect yourself that I, I was like, yes, if I have these things, I will live. This will help me live. And I, I ended up getting long haul COVID um, in 2021 and that I have multiple oximeters because that was the thing that like kept me sane. I was like, okay, if my oxygen is at this certain level, that means, okay, Diara, you're okay. And so to know that that thing was not designed for me or to Miles's point, anybody darker than a French fry, I don't, I don't know. Like that, it, that is wild to me. You know, we are a consumer and have to be a believer of these things. Some of the things that we're told, particularly around public health. So this this was a wild one for me. So now, I guess, listen, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do with all these oximeters now. I'm going to give them away to white people. I, I mean, I, I think I don't have a lot to add to this. I'll only say that it means that it reminds me that we have to ask the doctors when we go at one Next time I go to the doctor and they put a pulse oximeter on me, I'm going to be like, okay, can I get a blood test to confirm? Like, we have to be armed with the information so that we can advocate for ourselves for healthcare. And so I think that's my big takeaway. And I hope that everybody listening to this understands that they should challenge their doctors when doctors make sweeping recommendations based just on the pulse oximeter reading. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Posse of the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out and make sure you rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we'll see you next week. Posse of the People is a production of Cricket Media. It's produced by AJ Moultrie and mixed by Evan Sutton. Executive produced by me. And special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles E. Johnson. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense. 
so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.